Good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, there was a staff member here at the church a few years ago. He doesn't work here anymore, but uh, there was a movie that, that came out that he went and watched. It's a movie that many of you saw. It's a movie called Les Mis or Les Miserables. Went and saw the movie and about two scenes or three scenes into the movie, he was very, very confused. You see, he was someone who liked to read. He had nearly a photographic memory, and so he just loved to read and loved to tear through literature. And so he knew the story of Les Mis really well. He even knew uh, the, the drama of, of Les Mis really well. He just had no idea whatsoever when he went to the movie that it was going to be a musical. So if you can imagine going into the theater expecting something and then all of a sudden they all begin singing all at once and nobody thinks that it's weird. And so he's sitting in the audience very confused and saying, what on earth is going on here? And so uh, a lot of times we come to scripture, when we, when we misunderstand a genre, a lot of times we can look at it and say, what on earth is going on here. So what we're doing this morning is we're making a transition. We're, we're starting a new sermon series, as you just saw there in the bumper, as we, as we begin a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. So if you've got a Bible, will you open up this morning to the book of Proverbs? You can take it out uh, from the Pew Bible in front of you. It's on uh, page, let me double check for you, 663, if you're using that one. We're in the New International Version. Uh, this series is going to take about six weeks. We're going to spend in the book of Proverbs. And as we make our way through there, I'd encourage you, uh, if you would do it with us as we go through the series, you can read through the whole book of Proverbs as one chapter a day. And if you're a little bit sloppy along the way, you've actually got 40 days to get through 31 chapters, okay? About 40 days to get through 31 chapters, so a little less than a chapter a day will get you there. Uh, so if you're doing another Bible reading plan, just jump in, maybe add this to the side of it as well as you go through the book of Proverbs. You see, Proverbs is wisdom literature. And so if you don't know that, you're going to walk into the movie theater expecting to hear a drama, but all of a sudden people break out into song and you're confused as to why it's happening. The book of Proverbs is a little bit different like that. And it is kind of like a musical in that the book of Proverbs is written in a way that is poetic in nature. We call it in scripture, we call this wisdom literature. It's a different type of literature than the rest of scripture. If you've been with us this year, we just finished a 36-week series in the book of Romans. And so we, we covered a lot of different uh, uh, titles along the way. But what Romans is, is a letter written from one person to a group of people in the city of Rome and the, the church at Rome. And so it has a consistent thought. It has a really beautiful way that it's written out. And so it's all one idea uh, going through and being written out in that way. This is not how Proverbs is gathered, and you'll be very confused if you spend time looking at Proverbs as if it was one of the epistles of the New Testament. The word proverb is, is a word that is defined as a clever or pithy short saying that will give you some uh, type of wisdom. This book is full of it, oodles of it, if you will, but actually if you are familiar with the book of Proverbs, it's in the center section of the book of Proverbs, chapters 20, excuse me, 10 through 29. So the first section is different. The middle section is what we know as Proverbs, these short, quick sayings, uh, chapters 10 through 29, and at the end of it, it's a little bit different. If you've read the book before, you'll see in, in chapter 1, uh, we, we get the connection that these are written by King Solomon. 
And that King Solomon, and we, we learn in 1 Kings chapter 4 that, that, that King Solomon asked God for wisdom. He said, I am going to be leading the people of Israel. Would you give me wisdom? And so he spent his entire time as king going and gathering different instruction and gathering different uh, writings about wisdom. And that's what we find here in the book of Proverbs are all the different things that he compiled. He is actually the kind of the fountain pen that begins this wisdom literature because he gathers so much material together and, and, and brings it all to light. So Solomon writes this book. He writes at the beginning in chapters 1 through 9, he is writing, and you hear him use the word often, uh, my son, or there's some who believe my sons, talking to literally his sons, or maybe he's teaching a young group of male students, be able to say, my sons, listen to uh, my instruction, very specific through chapters 1 through 9. Then you come to the middle section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, and we have this compilation of all the different writings that he has gathered, and he wrote hundreds of them himself, of these really short, quick, wise sayings. In chapter 1, he also teaches us, he says, uh, by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom, or the Jews use the word chachmah. I don't know if I said that quite right, but it's pretty close, chachmah which is the idea that wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's more than understanding. Uh, David, King David talks about uh, the craftsmen of the day having this hakmah, the, the poets of the day, the songwriters of the day, the, their artists the having this hakmah. And in that, the reality is, is by having that, there is something like gravity that is all around us, that, that having this helps us make our decisions, help us to have understanding in what we do. And ultimately, it is an understanding in the fear of the Lord. Meaning that it's not just a matter of learning more, it's not just a matter of studying more and and establishing what you think is right and wrong, but actually like gravity, there's a law, there's an exception that God establishes what is wise and what is unwise. That we find truth, absolute truth from God himself and wisdom is actually aligning ourselves with that. God determines what truth is. God determines what wisdom is in that it is hachmah. So we humble ourselves before God, even when it's inconvenient for us. So King Solomon humbles himself before God, even though he is king over all the land. He is saying, I am putting myself before God. I am finding wisdom in him. Chapters 1 through 9 is the father to his son. Son says you should listen to wisdom. He warns son about folly, about evil, about selfishness, about pride. Wisdom should always be the highest goal. Also in chapters 1 through 9, we get this poetic illustration or personification of wisdom, and it's called Lady Wisdom. We give her a personality. Wisdom has a personality, and, and that we interact with her in a certain way. This poetic person, personification of wisdom co- comes out in a way that allows us to actually kind of have a relationship with wisdom. And then we learn about marriage and generosity, these collection of of family and work, sexuality, speech, government, justice, friendship, forgiveness. All of these things come together. Like chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or chapter 22, verse 6, start children off in the way they should go. Even when they are old, they will not turn from it. 
So as we look at this genre of wisdom literature, we need to keep in mind that for the most part, Proverbs actually equals a high probability. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short 99% of the time. It's not 100% of the time. Children start off in the way they should go. Even when they're old, they will not turn from it. If we say that happens 100% of the time, our faith gets shaken if we misunderstand that. You see, if we fear God and we follow wisdom, things will go great is kind of what the book of Proverbs will tell us. If we do not fear God and we follow foolishness, things will go poorly. But the reality is this Proverbs is not a list of promises because we, we find in real life we struggle with that because there are no guarantees that all of these things come true. Proverbs is focusing on the general rule rather than the exception to the rule, which is why if we think about the genre, we have to keep in mind that Proverbs is not our only wisdom literature. Proverbs is dealing with the general rule, but the book of Ecclesiastes comes along and starts teaching on some of the exceptions to the rule. And we hear Solomon, King Solomon, again, start saying, but it's all meaningless. It's all a waste of time because I'm seeing in real life these things don't actually play out the way that I thought they would. Or the book of Job is wisdom literature. And we, when we look at the book of Job and you hear it again and again and again, this question that we ask in humankind says, why do bad things happen to good people? Wisdom literature of Job is dealing with that exception to the rule and deals with it in a very strong way. So we need to keep in mind what the book of Proverbs is. Proverbs is about probabilities. Proverbs is not specifically about promises. I told you the beginnings, chapters 1 through 9, deals with a father writing to his son. The middle section deals with hundreds and hundreds of these short uh, proverbs, pithy stayings. Chapter 30 and 31 take a more personal turn again. Chapter 30 is going to deal with uh, King uh, Agur. He, he, he says, I am a, a brute. I have no wisdom. I cannot understand it. And he's like the model reader of this book as he's, as, as he's going through. He says, but as I read scripture, I start to find wisdom. And starts to say, you, you know, actually, if I dig into scripture, I actually am able to live my life in a way that will make me more wise. And so he is an illustration for us, the reader, that if we also too will study God's word, if we also too will study this wisdom literature, we too can become wise. And actually the conclusion that he draws is I will become wise and look for the one who is to come, the Messiah. Chapter 31 we have written by King Lemuel. He's not an Israelite king, but he's a king who writes wisdom literature again, and he talks specifically about all the great things his mother taught him. Chapter 31 is probably one of the most famous chapters of the book. And he talks about his, his mother, or talks about this woman, whether she's fictional. Uh, her husband says that she's amazing. The poor say thank you to her for all she's helped them with. Her children, they pour out their blessings upon her. Merchants love her. And as we look at this 31, and we just, ladies, you look at this. If we preach this on Mother's Day, we're setting you up for disaster, right? When we look at that passage and really what is happening is the author here of the book is taking Lady Wisdom that he has shown us at the beginning of the book and again demonstrating this is what it looks like for Lady Wisdom to be personified 
so that you can see her, interact with her. It's tangible so you can get a hold of it. Everything that we see in the book of Proverbs is all about making what is ethereal, tangible, practical, real advice. So that is why we're going to spend a few weeks in it this morning. It's going to have a, a topical, a few mornings in it. I can't take a few weeks this morning. That's not going to work real well. We're going to spend some time in this series, and, and we're going to talk specifically today. As we begin today, the first one on the list, the first thing that there is a, a number of passages about in this book is the topic of parenting. And so as we, we look at this topic of parenting, as we think through this topic of parenting, many of you think, man, I am probably the best parent in this room. I am not thinking that this morning. As I come before you this morning, I'm thinking through, boy, I'm going to open up the book of Proverbs, I'm going to study it this week, and then I'm going to tell everybody how great a parent I am, which is not what happens in real life. None of us think through things this way. What on earth would any of us have to say about wise parenting? The reality is all we could tell you are all the mistakes that we have made, which is probably what we'll spend some time on this morning. But if it was my advice or my counsel or my wisdom, you could certainly poke holes in it across the board. So instead, we need to look at what does God's word say about parenting? What do we find in scripture? Here's what I found this week. There are zero examples of perfect parents in scripture. If you've got that white sheet of paper in your outline this morning, it was stuffed in your bulletin, so you know where we're going this morning. That is your first fill-in for you today. There are zero examples of perfect parenting in Scripture. There are zero examples of perfect parenting in Scripture. Reach over your left shoulder with your right hand and pat yourself on the back. There are zero examples of perfect parenting in the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is not a book about people who lived virtuous lives. The Bible shows us, here's your fill-in, the depravity of man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, beginning in verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. He's talking here specifically about the ancestors that were under the cloud. He talks about as it crossed over the, the Red Sea. Not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occur as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by a destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. We have scripture as a warning for us. We have scripture as an example to us. But the Bible is not an example of perfection, of perfect parents. Here's the biggest example of all, David. Next fill-in for you is David was a great king in the history of Israel, but David was a giant failure as a father. David was perhaps the greatest king in the history of Israel, but David was a giant failure as a father. If you look through scripture and dig in, it, it appears that David had 19 kids. He would make a good TLC program, 19 kids and counting. 
19 kids, and what we can tell by looking at Scripture is probably one of them turned out okay. He was a failure as a father. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. I'll read it for you. It says, His father, talking about David, never rebuked him at Adonai by saying, Why do you behave as you do? And the example says, He was very handsome and was born next after Absalom. For whatever reason, King David, because he had a good-looking kid, a healthy kid, just let him do whatever he wants. And here in this example, what he wanted to do and what he did and caused great strife within the kingdom is that he decided to call himself king. When King David had already established that Solomon would follow him as king, this son who he decided not to do anything about, not to call him out, not to keep him accountable, not to discipline him, set up his own kingdom. Here's your next villain. David didn't fail on purpose as a parent. David failed because he was a parent on purpose. David didn't fail on purpose as a parent. He failed because he didn't parent on purpose. When we get to the end of his life, David, in 1 Kings chapter 2, says this, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon his son, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong, act like a man, observe the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience with him, keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this, and you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. He's on his deathbed trying to give instruction for all the things that he missed all those years. He didn't fail on purpose. You and I don't fail on purpose as a parent. We don't set ourselves up and say, you know what, today I'm going to go and make an absolute fool of myself as a parent. No, he didn't parent on purpose. Some of the truths we're going to talk about here in the book of Proverbs today, some of you are coming in this morning and you don't have any kids, or you're coming in this morning and you are a kid yourself. Understand that these principles, these truths are true whether you are a parent or not. Understand that you don't fail on purpose as a person, but you fail because you're not planning on purpose, not living with purpose. It was a number of years ago, a few years ago, that uh, Aaron pulled me aside. I can't remember exactly how it was, but it was one of those questions she asked, can we talk and, and, and we all talk all the time to each other, right? Like, but anytime someone asks, can we talk, you know there's trouble. When somebody sends an email to the office and says, I would like to talk to Pastor Milo, you're just not sure. You're just not sure what happens next. When your parents, kids, when your parents tell you, uh, when you get home after school today, we're going to have a talk, it, it, there's a problem. And so when Aaron said, we need to talk, what we needed to talk about was what was going on with our family. The fact that we were not parenting on purpose. She was keeping me, keeping us as a family accountable to some truths here that we're going to talk about this morning. So because of that, I've asked Aaron to come and join me this morning. We're going to talk about a few things related to parenting together. And so if you would give my beautiful bride a round of applause as she comes up here today. She was nice about it, but she called me out. And she said, do you want me to tell him what you said? 
Uh, right. You go ahead. Okay. I told him he had to do this part because it wasn't it. fair of me. All right. So I'll say it. So, so the reality of what happens is she said, you can sit down. At that point, we were planting Renewal Church. You can sit down on a napkin and tell people what it is that you want this church to look like two years, five years, ten, from, ten years from now. We're gathering people. We're, we're, we're beginning a core group of 20 to 35 people. And, and you're going to tell them every week what it is that our church is about. And yet we have no idea as a family what it is that we're trying to do here. I see a problem. Is that fair? That's fair. <laughs> Um, and I think that really speaks to um, even a lot of men, and I think it was one way I was finally able kind of to communicate to him and speak his language of, man, you are a hard-driving guy. You have point after point in your workplace of what you hope to accomplish, but where are we as a family, and where are we missing the mark, and what are our goals for our children? And, I, and at that time, we had four little kids. We still have four children. Um, but they were younger and it was like kind of like chaos all the time around our house, it felt like. Um, and we were struggling to be on the same page. Um, and one of, one of the things that we had realized early on in church planting, we had to um, take a marriage assessment in order to receive funding as church planters. And they plotted our marriage after we answered all these questions on this 16 grid, four by four of like who we were as people and I fell on the topmost left side upper corner as far left um, up as you could go and he fell far bottom right corner as far as he could go we couldn't have been more opposite and in our marriage that's been fine We've, we enjoy that we enjoy being opposites it challenges us it completes us but in parenting that's where the struggle really began because what, how do we parent? We parent the way we were raised by the examples that we were given and our examples were polar opposites. And so that's where we found ourselves, just sort of struggling to be on the same page. Um, and so that was, that was our challenge was to, to try and get ourselves on the same page. Um, imagine playing dodgeball. If you're at youth group ever with Mario, you play a lot of dodgeball. But imagine playing dodgeball and you're the person back up against the wall and everybody's throwing balls at you. And all you can do is react, right? And you're just blocking and you're reacting and you're in a defensive position because all these things are just coming at you and you don't even really have time to think about it. You're just reacting. Is this how you play dodgeball? Blocking? I don't know. If, if you Sorry. play that way, you're probably out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So we felt very much on, like, on attack and in a defensive position, and we wanted to take an offensive position. Um, and, and so we, the Lord provided us an opportunity to get away for about 24 hours, which again, with four kids, required some intentionality. I think it required four different sets of babysitters to cover 24 hours. But we took that time went before the Lord and said, God, help us to get on the same page. Help us to, to do, just to get us moving in the right direction. And what that ultimately led to for us was us really defining purpose for our family, defining a family mission and vision statement and values for our family that helps guide us now to this point. Um, we began asking ourselves questions of what's most important. 
What do we value? What are our goals for our kids when they leave us? Um, and, and that culminated into a statement for us um, and kind of a collection of statements that help to guide and direct us towards our end goal. Um, and it gives our family an identity that each member can unite around. Um, this started in that 24 hours, but it's been a process, okay? And it's not, it, it um, wasn't even, it wasn't a manual we followed, a book we followed. It's been kind of organic, asking our, ourselves the questions. What do we find ourselves saying to our children most often? And it was pulling, we took the time to pull out the things that were most important to us, but ultimately pulling out what, and, and begging God for that vision for our family. Um, and so, yeah, and you guys have in your fill-ins there, um, the question of why do we exist? As parents, we have to be clear about our main job. What is our real goal as parents? Try, we've tried to articulate that in a sentence or two, and our kids know that now, um, and they see it, and we have it plastered on our wall um, for our kids to see so that it constantly reminds them and it constantly reminds us of where we are and are we keeping on track for our goals. Um, though it might change as we get more clarity as our, we're now with teenagers we're entering that stage of teens and I'm sure this is going to change and it's kind of fluid. Um, but that answering that question about what is our main job? What do we care about? What are the values you want to transfer to your kids? Your kids won't know them automatically, so why not tell them? And that's, that's huge. Like, you think of all the influences that they're getting from wherever, and all those inputs, somebody's going to tell them, so why not us? Why not us be intentional about transferring our values to them? And finally, where are we going? What do you envision for your kids three, five, ten years down the road? What is, what is um, when you envision your child as an adult, what does that look like for you? Um, and again, in this as part of wisdom literature and the, and the idea of Solomon here, is Solomon asked for God's heart beforehand and that's what and in this process for us it's not been about what we want for our kids but what does the Lord want for our kids and how can we be a part of guiding them in that direction so we now after having put together this family vision and mission statement um, if I go back to dodgeball I kind of now feel like when the ball comes at me I can pick it up and I can hold it and I can evaluate it, I can look at it, and I can put it in that grid that we've made for our family and see where it fits, and then chuck it back. <laughs> so, for example, I just said, we, we are beginning the middle years of parenting, um, and one of the hot topics, and one of those things hurled at us is a phone, a cell phone, a smartphone for our kids. I get the, mom, I'm the only one, I'm the only one without one, and it's, Kind of true, they're getting a little bit older now, they kind of are the only ones without one. But for us, uh, two years ago when we started discussing this as parents, um, we were able to take that 
just that one example of a smartphone. And we were able to look at it through our, our mission and vision. And one of our, one of our um, statements is that the Wilsons must be who they are. And in that, under that umbrella, we are trying to teach our children about their identity in Christ and who they are in Christ and how God asks them to behave and act. Um, and we thought, okay, cell phone, smartphone, what other influences are they going to get through this? Is this going to help them or hurt them in finding their identity in Christ? Then um, uh, one of our other values is that the Wilsons must love. And under that umbrella, we fall the value of family time. And again, holding up that, that ball of that question, that choice we had to make about phones. And for us, it was clear. This is not fitting into our system. And so we were able to say no. And the cool thing about it, hopefully, the cool thing about it, still to, at this point, our kids are not bugging us about that because they, we have been able to give them the reason and shown them, here's our value system, you know it, you believe in it, you've ascribed to it too, and this doesn't fit. So we're just not going to do it. And that's been a great, again, now we feel like we are more on the offensive rather than the defensive. Yeah. So if we, we could stop here. We could stop here and you would be able to, we could have shared most of what we just shared right now at any type of marriage seminar, marriage retreat, marriage conference, parenting conference, something like that. And, and there would be good information there, helpful tools that you might go home and utilize, but you would miss a key component that's what is happening in the book of Proverbs. And that is, what does this have to say about the heart of God? What does this have to say about the fear of the Lord? We don't need just a plan for what to do or how to act just because it's good to have one. For instance, like Aaron talked about, we had a 16 grid of, of being very different homes. In, in my home, one of, I don't know if you would call it a belief system, but one of the rules in our home that everybody in the family knew. I told you that we were from a family farm and, and, and there's that type of thing. Everybody knew that my dad was supposed to be the next generation. He was going to be on the farm. That was it. Everybody knew that. That's the way it was supposed to be. Now, nobody asked dad whether he wanted to be that person. And so that makes it a confusing thing. Uh, but he made it clear to me that he did not want me to be the next generation at the family farm. He wanted me to pursue some other things. Why? Because he wanted to see what God was going to do in my life. Also in my family, there was a rule uh, that, that you could have guns, toy guns, but they had to be real guns. You could not have fake laser shooting pretend guns. They had to be real guns that a cowboy would wear. That was actually the most important thing, that they had to be cowboy guns. Now, if you're telling me that that is a family value, it seems to be like one of those dodgeball things, right? I don't know the rule. I don't know the reason behind that rule. I still have not figured it out. It's a little bit confusing to me. But if a family has a mission and vision that is after God's heart, you start to see the reason behind the rule. In Proverbs chapter 1, you'll see verses 2 through 6, kind of a secular point of view of just good ideas, questions that we should be asking, three questions that we failed to ask, what we said to you there. But these are the, this is the scripture behind it. We ask good questions for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction, and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let wise listen, add to their learning, let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings of the of the wise. That's all good and that's all true. 
Ask good questions, learn information, but if you miss verse seven, friends, you miss the reason why. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There's reasons why we should have a family plan. There's reasons why you want to be able to put things in a certain grid and move forward, but it had better be because you understand wisdom comes from and a fear of the Lord drives each and everything that we do. So with that, I believe there's three choices that we have to make. Three choices that you have to make. Proverbs 2 verse 11 says this, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. We must make some wise choices in parenting. Here's your fill-ins. We must exist. We must exist to fear the Lord. We must exist to fear the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My son, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight, you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand what? The fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Look at all the illustrations given there. If you look for it, if you turn your ear, if you apply your heart, if you call out, if you cry aloud, you look for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. We must exist to fear the Lord. Second fill-in, we must care about a faithful heart. We must care about a faithful heart. You see, a secular audience, someone who is just looking for good parenting ideas, we're not worried as much about what the heart condition is. But I'm telling you, friends, as a Christ follower, we must care of the heart. My son, chapter 3, verse 1, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them about your heart. Tie them around you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Friends, it is our responsibility as Christ followers, as disciples of Almighty God, to make sure no matter what decisions we are making, we are going after a faithful heart. Third one, we must decide to walk in faith. We must decide. We choose to walk in faith. Chapter 3, verse 21. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Persevere, sound, uh, preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and security, and your foot will not stumble. When we hear the words safety and security, the mental picture that we often get is one of a fortress one of a castle, one of defense posture. But we are being told here, no, we are to be walking in faith, knowing that God is the one who is going to provide the stability. We must be moving forward. We must choose and decide that we will allow ourselves to be exposed to some things. We will allow ourselves to be put in harm's way and trust that God is going to protect. And so when we do that, we believe we see three results when we trust God. <laughs> this is where I don't know whether I get to go off script a little. Sorry, go you ahead. said something that made me want to. <laughs> um, as Milo just made those points about existing to fear the Lord and caring about the faithful heart, 
and walking in faith. So those ideas, those are the bigger godly ideas that our vision, our family vision is based on, is that when we, when, when we ask that question of where do I want to see my kid as an adult, I want to see them in a relationship with the Lord. I want to see them fearing God. And I want to see, I want to see them inwardly acting, behaving in a faithful way, that they are people of love and of faithfulness to the Lord. And thirdly, our other, our, our other main goal is that we, our children go. And I know you guys hear us say that a lot, that adventure is a family value. Um, that comes from our value of going, which is all about walking with the Lord, going, sharing our faith, sharing and, and passing on the truth of the gospel to others. So that's, that is the, the core of our vision. Um, for our family. And, and we don't actually care where they go. We don't care whether they're a great athlete. We don't care whether they're a great theologian. We just want them to go and walk in faith as they go. So again, our, our parenting on purpose is an attempt to how do we reach those goals. So that's what, that's what we have done within our family. And the, the outcomes that we've seen, we did this, started this four years ago, and the outcomes that we have seen um, have just really changed the dynamic in our home, which I'm, I am completely grateful for. And we are trusting in God to continue with those outcomes for us. So the, the first outcome that we see, we, you guys have, I, I mentioned us going and, and us being um, ad, adventurous. Our family loves to be outdoors. It is one of our values, being outdoors in creation. Uh, so a couple years ago, we took our two older daughters on um, a backpacking trip on the AT, um, the Appalachian Trail, sorry. The cool people um, know what you were talking okay. about. Yeah. On the AT. Right, Michelle? <laughs> um, so we, we took about a trip on the AT down in North Carolina and um, experienced three days in the mountains, and it was wonderful. Um, and I have some pictures here. So, and we love this. We love being outside, and there's just something when we are out in creation, God speaks to me. Um, and so this picture shows my first point, a vision in the valley, having, having a purpose Parenting on purpose has provided us vision in the valley. Um, sometimes things don't go our way. Um, we, um, <clears throat> sometimes our expectations of parenting aren't what our reality is, right? Whether your kid doesn't make the team or they don't get the part in the play or as, as a lot of you know, we have been in a season in, in the valley with one of our kiddos. And in the valley, just like in this picture, you can't see out. This is the valley, and the fog is there, and it's heavy, and you can't see out. And because we have been on the same page of our goal and our purpose for our kids, that has, with the Lord, that the Lord has given us, has allowed us to start moving out of the valley. And in that valley, being able to keep our focus ahead, even though we couldn't see it. So that's our first, our first outcome that we have, we have experienced, the vision in the valley. Um, the second, clarity on the mountaintop. There, 
again, if you're, there are valleys in our parenting and there are mountaintops, right? There are the good times. There are the, the times of abundance and blessings. And we've had those too. And, but the one thing about abundance and blessing and mountaintop experience, and from this picture you can see, you can see 360 degrees. You could go anywhere because it's all, it seems all available to you. And as a parent, that's pretty a tricky place to be too. When the world is just open to your kid, how do you direct them in the right direction? As a small example of that, one of our, one of our kiddos was offered a, a opportunity for an extensive math program. She loves math, she's smart, she, you know, it's great. She loves it. It's, it is annoying. She's really good. Yeah, you, <laughs> she might belong to your family. Um, she's, she's, she loves math. She loves math. I don't know anything about it. But, um, and she was offered this to be a part of this program, which um, she really wanted to do. And again, we took that ball and we had to evaluate it because it, it was a great opportunity. The mountain was big. She could, she could go far with this. But we, value, we evaluated that within our purpose and system and, and said, not now. This isn't for us. For right. it's not, it doesn't lead you to the goal that we most value for you. Um, and then the third one, intentionality on the journey. Um, in this picture, this is our picture from the AT. Um, you can see the dark path there. Okay, one of the cool things that I didn't realize till we did this, I, on the AT, there's like no signs to tell you where to go. Like I was expecting blue hashes everywhere you went or whatever, like or marker posts, how many miles you've been, whatever. There were none. And what was amazing to me is that even though there were no marker posts, we could not get lost because you can see that worn path. At times that path was deep, like it had been traveled and worn so many times, it was deep. And you, you just couldn't, you could not get lost. And that really stuck with me because then that's one of the, be the greatest benefits that we've seen from this is the, that it has given us intentionality with our kids on our journey. This has helped us to have a model of discipleship a way for them to go. Um, you think of the, the Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way you go and he will not surely not depart from it, right? If we are intentional on the journey, we are creating that well-worn path. Yes, my child has the opportunity to jump off that path, but man, my goal and my hope is that we have worn that path deep enough that they will stick and they will stay. And that's the, that's the principle there that, that we are holding on to. Um, so in, in Proverbs chapter three, um, verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. We are asking and begging the Lord for our family, for your families to give us that vision and purpose, and that we be parents who would parent on purpose and allow the Lord to direct their path. So if the Lord's directing our paths, if we're keeping tabs and we're understanding that we have a role to play, band, you guys can come up. And we need to understand that the bigger picture here at play is not the specifics of uh, train up your child in the way he should go or uh, verses that have been quoted to many of us many times of uh, spoil the rods, you know, spare the child. What's the saying go? I've lost it at the top of my head. 
that that's not the main thing, friends. At the end of the day, yes, it's important for us to discipline our kids. It's important, but that is not the main thing. We want to do that so that they have the heart of God. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus does this. He picks up a little child who's standing next to him, and he said to him, whoever becomes like this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is at least among you who is the greatest. Jesus loved the little children, but we cannot forget he came as a child himself. When it says here, the one who is least among you is the greatest, he says, I came to you as a child, as an infant, and yet I am the greatest, he says again. And so in that, we have to remember that Jesus, as, as he works in our lives and works through us and gives us the wisdom that we so long for in these questions, these concerns that we're not figuring out, that he's the one who did it correctly. He's the one who was wise throughout. He is the one who two verses later from this verse sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's the one who fixes his eyes on the prize and that eyes on the prize was that he was going to make all things right. He was going to make all things new. He was going to make our paths straight. And so this morning, ushers, if you'll come forward as well, as a matter of response this morning, perhaps you don't need to look at the specifics of how we've, we've organized our family or we're pushing forward, but are you asking those questions? Are you asking those questions in your home and in your family? Why do we exist? What is it that we're pursuing with our hearts? Ask those questions, friends. Because the conclusion that you will find is one that will change your life, that we must decide to walk forward in faith. So just as God came to the earth through his son as a little child, he has given us little children to raise to give him the greatest glory. And I trust this morning that his word comes alive again. That's not just good advice. Oh, this is wisdom, like gravity that keeps the earth together, holds it together. This is God's wisdom for us today. So this morning, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for King Solomon, the way that he organized things together. He did not have a great example as a father, and yet he went to you and said, Lord, give us wisdom. There are many here this morning who did not have a great example as a father. There's many of us who are not great examples of a father, but we need to come to you this morning and say, God, give us wisdom. Let us pursue after your heart. Lord, let us walk with wisdom. Let us walk in faith. Lord, if there's any who need to respond to that this morning, if there's some who have questions, I pray, Lord, they'd write something on a connection card and ask for a, a, a follow-up conversation. Lord, I pray that there'd be some this morning who just set their hearts and say, we're going to do this. We don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to dig into your word and find out. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for those who are coming this morning, bringing their tithes and offerings. We pray that you bless them as well. We trust, Lord, that you've put this church here for a purpose, and so we invest in it. We thank you for the way that you are moving and working in our hearts here as a congregation, and as we go out the doors to our mission field, Lord, that you are using your word, and it will not come back void. We trust you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.